All right. Welcome back to Hashtag 5 Things. Kenny Gold here. We're replaying the audio from the SMW1 show, the weekly web show from our friends at Social Media Week. Today, we're playing the whole conversation in one podcast episode, and we'll be back to our regular schedule soon. This week, Toby chats with Dan Gardner, the co-founder and CEO of Code and Theory, about the culture of his company and how they adapted during a global pandemic. And you'll hear how he defines healthy online communication. You'll also hear from Rich Goodstone, the co-founder of Superfly. He and Toby talk about how video and live streaming are bringing people together during this period of social distancing and how Superfly, a live experience company, is pivoting at this time. After that, they will all chat together for a Q&A. Without further ado, here's Toby from the Hashtag SMW1 show. Welcome to the SMW1 show. Thanks for tuning in. On today's show, we are joined by two fabulous leaders in our industry, Dan Gardner, who's the co-founder and CEO of Code and Theory, and Rich Goodstone, who's the co-founder of Superfly, the amazing company behind Bonnaroo, Outside Lands, and Clusterfest. Today, we're talking about live in the context of COVID-19 and how sheltering in place is leading companies like Code and Theory and Superfly to completely rethink about how to recreate shared experiences virtually. As a producer of live events and as a company that's had to quickly adjust to this new reality, we have been so inspired by the breathtaking speed at which artists, creators, experiential designers, and event professionals everywhere have pivoted their various different event experiences. Our own pivot to virtual SMW1 kicks off tomorrow and runs through May 28th, which will consist of more than 100 hours of live stream content, talks, interviews, hangouts, and performances. To learn more, go to smw1.com. Please join me in welcoming Dan Gardner to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. What's up, Dan? Nice to see you, man. You too. How's it going? It's it's going. It's back going. Good. Yep. As we like to say, it's another day in paradise. Exactly. So, um, before we get into our conversation, Dan, what I want to do is I want to quickly bring up the first poll so we can give our audience an opportunity to sort of participate and interact. So, the first poll question is: During COVID nineteen, social media has enabled me to see different perspectives and engage in positive online discourse. Yes or no. So hopefully we have the poll up right now. I'll come back to it at the end of our conversation. But for those of you um, who are tuning in today, who might be a little bit unfamiliar with Dan or even Code and Theory, give us a little bit of background. Yeah, so I started Code and Theory in September of 2001. Um, We started the company really to solve problems at the intersection of creativity and technology. We uh, obviously in the early 2000s, uh, it was a bit more immature and what digital can do for the world, society, businesses. Uh, but we had a lot of ideas at the time and that, that's really why we started it. And what we are today is very much the same thing. We're solving problems using, using creativity and technology. Um, and we're in the business of change um, and change is the constant. And obviously in the last couple of months, we've, the world has been experiencing a lot of change. I think more than ever, it's an opportunity on what we do to help businesses sort of navigate through through this change, um, specifically using technology and creativity. And so that, that's what we do. We create campaigns, prod, digital products. We put technology into place. We help change organizations. So it, it runs the gamut, but really focus on that sort of digital first world. <laughs> I mean, g- given the fact that you know that you started the company in sort of the early two thousands, you've sort of been through every imaginable sort of like iteration of of technology innovation, and and I'm sure you, in addition to that, you know, given the fact that there's been like you know multiple recessions and downturns and crashes over the course of that time. As a business, you know, you've had to kind of adapt in a number of different ways. You've had to help your clients adapt. Um, you talked a little bit about kind of, you know, this sort of intersection of creative, creativity and technology. But can you talk a little bit about like the culture at Code and Theory and in particular, like why your company is, is just, you know, so good at adapting, um, you know, particularly in these sort of like moments of crisis? Yeah, I, I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, we, we literally started two weeks before uh, 9-11. So 
we started the company literally in the DNA of sort of these big cultural, you know, sometimes horribly negative moments um, that has forced us as a company to always sort of be adaptive to what we do. And because our business is to create change, I mean, most clients come to us when they need a big change to happen. They don't come when it's sort of status quo, make me a little better. It's just been naturally to us as a company and as a culture to make changes. So, you know, for example, every company meeting we have, we talk about as a company, our job is to change ourselves because we're not going to do that for uh, our clients if we can't do it with ourselves. So we're, we're naturally a culture that looks to not sort of do things just because that's the way they've done it, but actually uh, be contentious or constructive in a way to challenge uh, each other to do things better, do things differently. And that doesn't even mean do things for our clients differently or better. It means everything. Anywhere we think change can be improved, that's basically the culture that we have. Right. I mean, you, you and I, you know, we have the opportunity to sort of connect regularly and we, we talk a lot about yeah. what's happening at the moment. Um, but when you sort of think about where we are today and, you know, really what's happened over the course of the last like, you know, six to eight weeks or so, what, what are you seeing emerging now, in, particularly in terms of kind of like new digital trends that you, you think are interesting and, 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 and worthy of discussion, particularly obviously, you know, as a result of what's happening uh, with COVID-19? Yeah, I mean... I mean, obviously, everybody's trying to navigate it. So I, I think the, the the first thing is sort of the volatility creates a lot of unknowns. And I think people are, are still trying to get nerve, uh, comfortable with the idea of volatility and unknown. So beyond sort of starting even start solving problems, that's that's a huge challenge that I think a lot of organizations are trying to deal with. You know, I th- there's certain... Obviously, uh, industries that are going through massive right transformation, and they were before this. And I think this has just created a catalyst or opportunity um, to, to create new solutions. I mean, obviously, like government, healthcare, education, and for all, especially for all of us that are parents, we see that hospitality. Obviously, they're almost in a freeze moment. Um, media and publishing has always been going through a transformation. Obviously, but now, obviously, there's a new set of uh, challenges. So I, I think there's this sort of common industry shifts. And then there's the obviously the communication aspect of it. I think when this first happened, you saw this the plethora of, you know, I, I don't know, I think a lot of people got a little sick of every COVID-19 response. The, the first thing was like, I'm just going to tell you what my response is. Then the second thing that happened was, you know, everybody jumped on sort of generic bandwagon copy, like we're all in this mm-hmm. together. And it almost became a sea of undifferentiated uh, uh, approach to trying to find how you navigate to this. Now I think we're in the sort of more practical phase, which is, okay, now what am I really going to do? And if I am a, a company or a brand about values and purpose, or if that's something that long-term is important to me, uh, I think brands are really trying to think about tr- driving true value, not just saying something, but doing something and where it makes sense for the business, not like some force, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon, but where there's opportunity to even maybe help the business grow while doing something good. Right. Yeah. I, and I want to get on to talk about one of these like specific examples or something that you've launched launched recently. But before we do, I, I sort of I'm interested to go back to kind of this sort of idea of creativity and technology and how they intersect, particularly obviously sort of within code and theory. You know, as a leader within your organization, not only are you trying to figure out how you can best service your clients at this time, but but also, you know, you're challenged with the fact that you've got like potentially thousands of employees, um, you know, who are distributed globally, but also who are now working remotely. Um, I'm curious, like how how do you um, help to provide kind of organization around that? And, and in particular, like how do you maintain um, creativity during this time? And, and, and then on the technology side, like what sort of challenges you're experiencing just, just from a technological standpoint as people are essentially working from home? Yeah, well, it's an interesting question. I mean, uh, first of all, I think there's every day feels like a month for most people and every week feels like a year. So if I think about when we first started going remote versus now, even the, the mental approach i think for everybody is is quite different and so which means uh needs are in kind of state of being is evolving over time how people communicate so even that has a little unknown trying to figure out from a day to day i mean obviously we're trying to be transparent communicate all those things i think though the bigger question that i've realized is you know i've also i've often 
previously been asked about culture and, you know, how do you define culture in an organization, especially as an agency? And I always used to say, you know, culture isn't defined by, you know, ping pong tables and bagel Mondays, you know, as an example, like it's, it's not the cool office environment that obviously I think we we've designed. It's something more than that. And I think what's happened through this, it's really, I know from our management standpoint, it's really made us kind of step back and really work harder to define what culture really is. And, you know, culture is everything from communication to process to how we work together. And obviously, technology is the enabler of all that in clearly when we're remote work. Um, And so we're spending a lot of time thinking about the DNA of culture values. Again, not like sort of let's put the five words on the wall, but really how we as an organization work together. And then in return, how that those things that work together fuel creativity and fuel the value value that we then give to the clients. So that, that's really what we've been focused on. And there's a lot of trial and error through that. Uh, you know, we're doing lots, of, we're experiment. put it this way, there's a lot of experimentation going on from like most recently, one thing we added, we realized that there's a lull on fr- uh, Thursdays, like end of day Thursdays. So we're like, how can we solve like the, the mental lull that happens. It used to happen on like a Wednesday because you're like, you start going out on Thursday and, you know, it, the weekend almost starts the day early. We now realize Thursday for some reason is really bad. So we're like, there's such an over communication. We're communicating way more than we ever do in the office. So why don't we stop communication on the second half of the day on Thursday and let's see what happens. Does that help people just kind of have that space, you know, however they want to use it, they could still work. They could maybe not partially not work, but find ideas like that that could just help fuel creativity and culture for that matter. Yeah, it's interesting. So, you know, prior to COVID-19, my uh, company had a work from home policy Wednesday, Fridays, um, which, which most people, you know, opted into um, and, and very much appreciate because, you know, it saves a ton of time on commuting. And um, I think people enjoy the flexibility, of course. Um, and, and during, again, pre, pre-COVID, um, the idea was that Wednesdays were supposed to be like a no meeting day. So you can actually kind of get some work done and, and sort of feel some sense of productivity. But like post-COVID, like all of that was just like completely thrown out of the window. So we have to figure out how to get back to um, a little bit more structure, I suppose. And I, I love that idea of just like shutting down communication on a Thursday so people can just take a breath. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. Otherwise, um, so it's um, two two kind of part question really. So now more than ever, consumers want to see their favorite brands like really step up and stand for something. Like you know, properly fulfill their obligation in terms of how they serve and support their customers during this time. And 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 they're obviously looking for kind of you know examples of like you know what's happening and. Um, you know, the ways in which brands are actually kind of like, you know, leverage, leveraging this opportunity, but to sort of drive some type of social good or impact. Do you have any examples uh, that you can share that like either the, the client examples or just examples in general of brands that have really sort of stood out for you in terms of their sort of role and impact at this time? Yeah, I mean, look, there's some, I think, obvious ones that, you know, the big companies are the obvious ones. Like, you know, obviously Uber has a logistics, is a logistics company. So they're using their logistics ability to to bring essentials to people or people that need them. You know, it's, it's a good example of like a pivot of the infrastructure they have and how that could be applied or educational companies like um Coursera opening up free, you know, free education resources for people in areas like mental health or otherwise, or obviously there's like Google and Apple because there's the scale is so big using the technology to help fight the response or, or a client of ours, like for example, Xerox, they, uh, you know, the ships come to cities for for health reasons or uh, bringing hands, you know, sanitizers to local municipalities to help in those ways. So I think companies um, are finding the ways that what they do well and how they can apply it to doing good and whether it's using resources that maybe have lulls because of their spots and uh, create meaningful for it or using the scale just because they have it or finding new opportunities, which I always think um, is the greatest thing because that's long lasting. So how opportunities where businesses can actually make money, but also do good, I think is the, is really the sweet spot because that's the, the doing versus saying. And you, I believe that that's the sweet spot that creates longevity. So this isn't just a short term, we as a company or, or brand want to help someone because that's the fashionable thing in the moment, but it actually can tie into their business, which means there'll be a long term impact. So uh, I'm interested to see how long term 
where the pivot goes um, to find opportunities in that way. And then with regards to your, your own company and a, and a client you've been working with, obviously South by Southwest was one of the first like major events to cancel kind of like in early March. Um, following South by South, South by Southwest cancellation, MailChimp, I understand, approached you to create a global digital destination for the 70 plus films that were slated to premiere during the festival. Tell us about this project. Yeah, this this was sort of a quick response uh, project that um, you know I think Mailchimp um, identified as a real opportunity because it's obviously there's a shame you work on these short films you don't have the same platform that these big Hollywood you know blockbusters have and then all of a sudden this gets canceled and all this creativity that and effort and love that you went into these projects obviously didn't have the platform it would have happened so uh, we worked with Mailchimp to to bring this online relatively quickly. Uh, I think it's a good example example of sort of, you know, when people come together with fast response, how much, you know, what could have maybe taken a six month project to, to bring this online was actually relatively a couple of weeks. Um, and it was incredibly successful. I, th- I think it really highlights the power of creativity, um, especially for these filmmakers. And now MailChimp, you know, we're starting to talk about again about how we can apply this to even other sectors or like, for example, authors and thought leaders and find other ways to do this because it was so successful. So I think that's a good example where it like social media week, for example, there's this has become a forcing function to something that you may have done otherwise, but this is really forcing you to do it. It becomes number one priority, not number seven priority, where you can find new opportunities to create reach and new platforms that would it not happen? So it, to me, it fast forwards this idea of digital transformation ways that just wouldn't have happened. I, I think that's a real positive that comes from this. And, and of course, I think that forcing function is 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 really interesting on a, on a few different levels, right? So um, it's it's physically impossible to organize any type of mass gathering, and everybody is also at home and cannot leave. Um, the the most unique of situations we could possibly imagine. Hopefully, we'll never be in this situation again in the future. However, as you say, it kind of creates um, a sandbox, an opportunity to to think about all of the creative, creatively interesting ways in which we can um, um, design new experiences and cater to, to to these these you know new realities that we're facing at the moment. But I'm curious, you know, what what's the engagement level look like? Um, and, and how do you think about those engagement levels now, particularly when you think about the future at a time where this might not be the primary way in which you sort of deliver this type of experience, um, but at the same time, you want to sort of like, you know, keep aspects of it that make sense, particularly in terms of being able to reach much larger audiences? Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. I mean, just like working remote, it all works now when we're all remote, but when it becomes not all at once and we start going back to whatever that new normal is, you know, what are the learnings? Will people, the behaviors and expectations that work today work for tomorrow? And I think some of that still needs to be worked out. But I think it'd be naive to think that some of these things that we're doing now are actually just better and more beneficial, even if it goes back to whatever the new normal is. So I think the the forcing function of learning and changing is only going to solve problems that actually existed before this thing happened. I mean, Toby, me and you have worked uh, and spoken a ton about, you know, digital connections and, uh, you know, and uh, everything around that. And clearly there's still areas of, of opportunity to solve on how people connect digitally, because even if when we, we go back in a world, there's an amplification and social media and all these things that create this co- digital connected world that exist anyway. So what I believe is this is the forcing function to solve some of the gaps that may have not been the priority uh, before this. Yeah. I mean, it's funny when, when we first started talking about our own virtual offering, you know, we, we, we and everybody else was sort of talking about this sort of like, you know, pivot to digital, pivot to virtual. And you start to look and examine, you know, all of the ways in which like in-person experiences kind of like, you know, are deficient and where digital kind of offers something extra or, or an enhanced aspect to the experience. And I think in, in whatever it is, three, six, 12 months, hopefully not, as we then start to kind of transition back to a, t- a, a place where we can start integrating in-person experiences again, it's actually going to be a pivot to in-person because we're going to be coming back the other way. And the question is, like, what are we going to take with us that we think will actually enhance the in-person experience uh, as a result of, of just going so deep into the, the, the sort of the digital side of things? 
Yeah. Well, one thing is what's interesting is, you know, technology has never been able to do the human stuff well. And mm-hmm. technology is better than you know, doing the technology stuff. So clearly there's, you know, there's still some human stuff that needs to be figured out in this digital world. Um, but the technology, you're going to fill some holes. And hopefully when we go back to physical, it could do the heavy lift. You know, when you think about events, it's like there are certain things, but the networking and human connection clearly is part of it. And this is going to force the ability to say, where does technology play a role in that? Um, and I, I have to believe it's not limited to just staring in, into a screen that that same technology would work in a physical world when we go back to it. We just need to right. sort those things out still. So uh, you're going to be speaking as part of SNW1, our forthcoming conference series, which kicks off tomorrow morning. Um, and you're going to be talking about the power of discourse. What can you share today with our audience as a sort of a, a teaser or a precursor to your session? And, and really, what, what sort of was the sort of um, the motivation for wanting to talk about about public discourse? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the motivation, um, we've done so much in media and publishing over the last, you know, two decades. Um, the idea of, you know, obviously, there's the idea of fake news and news legitimacy and how to, and the importance of uh, news. And now social media is a key component of news, what that all means in, in making society better, you know, you know, uh, the freedom of speech is the fourth government, you know, the fourth branch of the government. And that, that's always been a passion point for us as a company. Um, so the idea of discourse is important because if you think about media and publishing, you know, one of their main important things is to create discourse, to find areas for humanity or society or government or its citizens um, to bring truth to power in many different ways. And what we have found is, as sort of digital has matured, um, that the idea of this discourse has almost been reducing. Um, and it, it's for a couple of reasons. I, I'd boil it down without getting too deep into this because um, hopefully my talk kind of expands on this and I'm pretty passionate about it so I could speak forever. But I would boil it down to two things. Uh, really, one, news and information creates filter bubbles, both media companies and social media. So you, you, you tend to find yourself in situations that just... Uh, kind of reaffirm what you already believe, which obviously doesn't create discourse to broaden your perspective. And two, the way people participate and communicate is really, I would call, I'll call it troll. It's a trolling setup. Features and functionalities really don't allow for difference in opinion in a positive, constructive perspective. So obviously, I'd say in, in terms of discourse sounds ne- negative, but really discourse is an important fundamental and something that obviously, Toby, I've again been speaking with you a lot about is the idea how empathy, empathy opens up the ability to get better perspective on people and people's opinions. And there's a lack of technology and tools that really, uh, I think, push this forward. What's interesting, though, um, you know, because this is something that I've been passionate about pre-COVID. And I think what, what's interesting is the, the, what's happening within now in the COVID world or post-COVID world is we're starting to actually get more intimate, like even this webinar. You know, we're speaking face to face. There's going to be breakout sessions that allow us to have intimacy that hopefully can broaden perspective and empathy. And obviously, this is an industry type event, but there's all these things going on all over the world. And I think this is actually funny enough, the start of how to create more intimacy and empathy in a digital world that, again, hopefully uh, crosses over. So it's interesting that this is kind of fast forward, something that, you know, we've I'd say we've been pretty passionate about for uh, a little while now. No, definitely. I mean, the, the, the tools just provide such a an interesting new way for us to be able to organize and structure uh, conversation, dialogue, discourse. I mean, I remember you came up to me after one of your keynote sessions, I think it was in New York last year, and you were like, yeah, it went great. But I was like, I was really just missing that opportunity to be able to kind of connect with attendees afterwards. Yep. And honestly, it's like logistically just really difficult to do that at a physical event. Of course, after today's conversation, our attendees will have an opportunity to jump into a breakout room with you and even like, you know, turn their video on and ask you a question, which is going to hopefully feel like really like 
really intimate and 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 help to kind of like you know um, create a deeper connection through the conversations that we have. So I think it's going to be um, super interesting. Um, well, Dan, listen, um, I really appreciate you you taking the time. Um, I want to go back to our poll question for a second, and then we're going to um, uh, invite Rich to join us. So let's bring back the poll question just for a second, so we can see people's results, and then we can kind of get get um, a response from from Dan as well. So during COVID nineteen, social media has enabled me to see different perspectives and engage in positive online discourse yes or no let's see the results um i i have a sneaking suspicion there we go so 86 percent of people said yes super interesting uh dan any thoughts on that they're overwhelmingly positive yeah i mean uh it's sort of uh with my instinct was saying uh, you know uh, um before that I, th I think this is forcing us to engage in different ways um, and kind of evolve digital tools or even how we use the digital tools. Some of it doesn't need massive changes, just how we use it. So it's actually pretty encouraging that it's it's in some way solving itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll talk about this in my opening re remarks tomorrow. But, you know, I think pre-COVID, we were being told largely by the media that we, you know, exist um, you know, in, in a divided world, right? But we are also at the, at the moment experiencing the, the, the greatest global kind of unification that we've ever experienced. And because of that, people are starting to kind of think about well, what's my role? How can I be positive and constructive during this time? And I think that kind of bleeds into the public discourse, which I think is um, a positive thing, you know, hopefully. Um, all right, fantastic. Dan, thank you again. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, please stick around for the Q&A portion and for the breakouts afterwards. But, but for now, thanks so much for joining. Will do, thank you. All right, let's welcome our next guest to the show, Rich Goodstone, co-founder of Superfly. Rich, welcome to SW One Show. Awesome to see you, man. What's happening, Toby? Thanks for having me. No problem, no problem at all. All right, Dan, much, uh, sorry, all right, Rich, much like with Dan, let's uh, pull up the poll question. Um, and the question is, do you feel digital experiences offer a greater sense of connection with celebrities and influencers during COVID-19? Yes or no? Um, uh, much like before, we'll put the poll question up for about 30 to 60 seconds so people have an opportunity to respond while Rich and I jump into our conversation. So... I can't even imagine what you have been going through over the course of the last six to, to eight weeks. I know from a personal perspective and as from a live conference producer, it's been a pretty traumatic time, but um, I can only imagine how difficult it's been for you to talk, talk us through a little bit of like what it's been like for the last like, you know, four to six weeks from Superfly's perspective as you think about kind of your roster of different, um, you know, uh, uh, festivals and, 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 and live events that you guys put on. Yeah, I mean, uh, surreal is the first word that comes to mind. You know, when you're uh, you're looking at the world in, in one way, um, and you can't really see something coming, and there's no real way to plan for it. So, uh, it's been incredibly challenging. Um, it's we've been fortunate to to be in a really good financial position. Uh, to have an amazing team in general to kind of, uh, you know, work through this, a lot of contingency planning. We've had to make some tough decisions for sure. Um, and, you know, just the uncertainty is what makes it all so difficult. It's just not knowing um, when things are going to get back to whatever that new normal might be. But a, a lot of what we do is based in live, even though we do a lot of cultural experiences that sit outside of live as well. But um, all of that stuff is just, you know, on hold. There's still a lot of tremendous amount of planning um, and this too shall pass, right? So we're going to get back to live. It's not going anywhere. You cannot replicate the depth of experience and engagement that live can bring. But, um, you know, we've got to, continue to uh, evolve and be aware of our surroundings and make sure that we make the right decisions uh, and a lot of planning for the long term and you know contingency planning for the short term absolutely i mean like i don't know about you but but i sort of oscillate between different like emotions um you know sort of fear and trauma and anxiety together with sort of a, a, just a, a sense of like hopeful optimism like how, how are you as you know as a leader within your organization personally um handling the situation and 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 from a leadership standpoint you know how have you been leading your team during this time um, yeah, certainly passed through those, was it the seven steps of grief, um, yes. and have settled into what is right. And, and I've, uh, 
I'm incredibly blessed, right? So like I'm sitting here, I'm in Montclair, New Jersey. I've got a family, we're healthy, uh, close friend. You know, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. Things are going to be okay. You know, everything is going to be fine. Um, business is suffering. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, real trauma out there and death and people losing their jobs. Uh, but I always look at the, you know, the opportunistic side and the ability for us to persevere, uh, as you kind of talked about with Dan. Like this is the first. If you can't see that we are global citizens now, then you know you're not paying attention because right. what we do affects the world what happens in another part of the world affects us and and so i look at all of this as if you look at it properly um there's a lot of opportunity for change in a positive way uh from an empathetic perspective compassion uh being able to see how other people uh so i i when i think about all the things that are happening and kind of to your last question like there's so many positive things that are going to come out of this so if we can get that past this pandemic, get people back to work, uh, get people healthy, right? Mentally, as well as physically, there's going to be a tremendous amount of positives that come from this. No, totally. Um, you know, for, for, tell me like about your business and your events pre-COVID in terms of like how you thought about digital, the, the sort of the complement of digital and live streaming pre-COVID. And, and now how are you thinking about um, digital and live streaming sort of not really post-COVID, but during COVID and, and you know, when you think about kind of the ways in which you will have to kind of pivot in the future? Yeah, well, certainly as we you know started this company 20 plus years ago, and we were very much a live experience company. You know, we were building live experiences. Everything was based upon um, the monetization engine of of it, um, the engagement aspect. Why we, why, you know, why was what was our reason for being was to create uh, experiences that would shape how the world plays and connects, and create experiences that people could um, you know look forward to in the future, but also look back on as the most memorable moments of their lives. Right. So that's always been a key guiding force as we've evolved and gotten older, and you start to build businesses. You know, you start to to realize that business is built upon all dimensions of interaction, you know. So while the tent pole might be the live experience, um, how we connect throughout the year digitally through social, through marketing, um, all that what became incredibly important um, into this world. We've been doing you know live webcasts and streams for the past decade. We've done dozens of them. Um, obviously, our marketing is multi-dimensional and omni-channel. You know, we've always been thinking about that. Um, so it is a core of who we are. But to your point, you know, when we build something, it, it would start always with story, but we would start with live experience story and then kind of move out from there. Um, now we're just thinking about it a little bit differently. Because we have all the understanding of virtual events, um, of what's happening in the space, of sound and voice, and just all the ways to interact with people. But we're probably putting a little bit more emphasis on developing stories around that world, cultural experiences around that world, and then know that, like any great IP, we can extend into other areas. Um, and that's you know that's that's like I think to the point you and Danny before. It's like where does your first focus go to? Right, because we're always thinking about that. But now, in the short term, we're spending a little bit more time there, and we're building out platforms that are um, are digital first, uh, and then we'll think about how these evolve in the live experience or things that we've already built through live experience. But now, how are they going to live digitally in the short term? Right. I mean, like we've been producing, you know, physical in-person events, but with a with a pretty significant kind of digital component. Um, to them for you know more than a decade now, but but it's all, we've always been much like you uh, a sort of an in person physical event experience company first, um, and and now you know as we made our pivot and we kind of launched SMW one, what we found which was really interesting is all of a sudden those sort of barriers to entry into a physical live experience are, are, are essentially removed. You know, one of the things that I've been particularly inspired by is just to seeing the number of people who are now registered for SMW1 you know, internationally. We have like 30 or 40 different countries that will participate over the course of the next right. few weeks. And, and that's super inspiring because we've now removed like one barrier to entry, which is I can't travel, can't afford to travel, you know, whatever it might be. What, what, what are some of the sort of the, the, the moments of, where you felt kind of a sense of liberation when you sort of think about a more digital first approach to live experiences? 
Liberation. Huh, that's a good term. So, so the point you just made is 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 spot on, right? Like when we're drawing a hundred thousand people a day to Golden Gate Park, um, it's a lot of people. In the world and scope of of digital, it's not a lot of people. Um, the biggest challenge digitally is monetization. Um, and obviously the world of gaming is doing it incredibly well. Um, and this next generation in virtual goods is they're they're gonna be a part of that. Um, that that generation that's just it's just a part of what they do and, and how they purchase things. Um, you know, my generation that that's not the case. And so as we look at different ways to be around, you know, to exist in the digital space, it's really about how do we create experiences that can be monetized because we can tell stories that are really effective. Um, we can reach even larger audiences by the things that we do. But we're always trying to figure out two things. One. What's not out there that needs to be, right? So again, to the points you made in the first talk is we're accelerating things that we've thought about but didn't have the time and resources to put into because our business was flourishing the way it was. So we can spend a little bit more time thinking about that digital version of it. And then, you know, two is, is again, the monetization of how do we think about um, a platform where... You know, the depth of engagement when you go to a live experience, people are willing to spend $350. That's just what the perception is. That's what they feel the value is. Value is very different in a digital world and understandable because that, that depth is so real. You know, you change, you really change lives in person and you can do a lot digitally, but it is a different thing. So how does that evolve over time? What are people willing to pay for digitally? Um, so those are the areas that we're spending a lot of time. One of the places we're spending our short-term time is we built out a platform called Small Business Live, trying to support the what we're hearing 30 to 40 percent of small businesses that are at risk of going out of business over the next 60 days. And we're doing a digital webcast with artists and small businesses interacting, trying to take that faceless small business and and really bring it to the forefront because there's so many people struggling out there. So how can we be purposeful? How can we build philanthropic platforms with some extra time that we have while live experiences may not be there, work with our clients who are building live experiences more closely to think about what it looks like for their physical events to be in the digital world, similar to what you're doing with uh, uh, social media week. So all of that is where our time is is going right now. I, I see, obviously, we, we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, um, an unbelievable number of like artists and influencers and celebrities doing some really interesting and highly sort of experimental things in terms of how they can connect with their audiences and some really interesting kind of partnerships and collaborations as well. Um, a two-parter really, like one, you know, what have you seen that you're particularly sort of excited or, or have been inspired by outside of the work that obviously you're doing? And then also speak to kind of like Fortnite, Travis Scott and that particular concept, because that seems to be one of the things that really has stood out at this time. Yeah. Well, I think the ability to mix virtual and, and, and live experiences is um, an area that's going to continue to grow because you, when you have that live, right, that gives you an element of the social connection that people are looking for. So, um, you know what, listen, I think what uh, Together at Home did with Global Citizens was a great effort, uh, being able to try and um, strike the right tone with also entertainment and raise the profile of what needs to happen around social distancing and and kind of being that part of the solution that we all need to be if we want this to go away more quickly or certainly lessen the amount of deaths that are being caused. Um, but to the point of the Travis Scott, um, there's another amazing company out there called Wave that is creating live experiences with artists as avatars and bring them into immersive virtual experiences, similar to what Travis Scott did and, and uh, Fortnite, although, you know, while people were live, that performance wasn't, but theatrically, it was incredible. Um, so, you know, that's how people are used to, you know, engaging right now, especially in this gaming world. So the idea that you can uh, interact as an artist with hundreds if, uh, of thousands, if not millions of people um, through avatars and, and, and be in the experience, I find incredibly inspiring. And I think that will continue to proliferate. Um, you know, we're figuring out ways that, you know, what, what do we bring to the table? 
what's our expertise and experience at creating these world-class cultural moments and you know how can we can be a part of those things so now is not a great time to be in the predictions business but and i'm I'm sure you spend a lot of your time every day just you know thinking about um timelines right you know when are we really going to see kind of live experience live in-person experiences kind of come back in what way will they come back how long is it going to take um particularly when you're sort of talking about the types of mass gatherings that 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 you organize what, what if we do project out, let's say, you know, 12 to 18 months, like where do you see the live event space in, in that sort of like time frame, and, and what do you think is going to change? Um, I mean, it's, it really is. It's so difficult. You know, let's, let's start with long-term. Mm-hmm. It's going to go back to being very similar. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there'll be, there'll be changes in the undercurrents and the different things that happen, but large scale experiences, sporting events, Disney world, fine. Now, that could be longer than 18 months. I, I just, it's so difficult to tell. I've been so surprised that we can't have, you know, ubiquitous testing, that we can't even find out if we've got it for a week. So I don't want to get into that side of things, but like, it's yeah. just so incredibly difficult to predict how quickly it's going to take to get a vaccine. And really what it comes about is how are you going to make people, how are you going to take the fear, right? People can't be fearful of going to experiences. So right. when is that gonna happen? At what scale is that gonna happen? It is really tough to predict. You hear a lot of good things coming out, a lot of unknowns. So I'd love to believe in 18 months, we've got large scale mass gatherings coming back, but I don't know if that's gonna be the case. What I do believe is things are gonna come back slowly. And I think that you know the size of the events and the size of the gatherings you know, are gonna come back slowly as well. And in some way, shape or form, things that might allow for fewer people to be in an experience at a time might make more sense. Outdoor experiences might make more sense. We're doing um, we, we're doing these friends experiences, celebrating the, this show, li- licensing that IP, building location-based experiences. Those are 25 people at a time. That sounds like it probably will come back a little bit more quickly than your 80,000 per. So all of that stuff is being thought about. And then we're just contingency planning for each one, making sure that we're making the right decisions across setting up gates for ourselves to understand what, when each decision needs to be made to keep moving forward, because flexibility is going to be a real key in these next 12 to 18 months. That's for our clients. You know, we work with obviously a ton of branded experiences for a number of partners. Um, So what we're advising them is like, make sure that what we're thinking about can be flexible on scale, can be flexible on timing, because we just don't know. Great ideas are usually uh, able to be executed in a number of different ways. And so as long as we build things with that cultural flexibility, we should be okay. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think when it does come back, as you say, it's going to come back slowly. Um, But also, I think when you think about the sort of the attendees perspective, they're obviously going to... um, when they do commit, they're going to commit because the event experience is going to be worth it, right? Which puts an enormous amount of pressure on um, event organizers to ensure that, like, these experiences are valuable, that they matter, that they exist for a a real reason. And and you know, I'm a huge fan of what you guys do, and I think you put on absolutely exceptional event experiences. But that's not really true of like all event organizers out there do you see um you know through this process um you know because of that fact because events have to matter in the future for people to want to go to them do you see a significant reduction in the number of events that will be taking place even at the point at which we're back to some semblance of normality um i don't but you know i'll say this that point you just made which is a completely valid point was a pre-covid point as well and, you know, when we launched Outside Lands in 2008, there were five large scale festivals that started and only one of them is still around and that's Outside Lands. So um, that's been happening in general. I think everyone needs to continue to disrupt and reinvent themselves. And if you're not doing that, then you probably won't get um, really successful with what you do. You know, we're continually trying to think about what's next and how to just, you know, make sure that every aspect of what we do is special. And I think everyone needs to be thinking of that. So when when things come back, I think one of the challenges may be that there may be a little bit too much content, 
Like if you just think about the entire touring world, there's seven, eight holds on every single venue right now in 2021 because everyone's going to want to come back and perform. So there might be so much content that might make everything a little bit more difficult or just downsize. But I don't think the pie is getting smaller. I think the pie is going to get bigger. But even with that, you have to be great at what you do. And that goes for any industry, right? Student of the game. How do I be exceptional? Continuing to think about how I do that. If you do that, I think events are just like they were before. They're going to need to be thinking about how to be special going forward too. Yeah, it's Darwinism right now, right? And, and, and kind of in our capitalistic society, for most, for most things, it, it is that way, you know, like, I believe in a personal compassionate capitalism myself, but, you know, there's give people the ability to succeed in this world without having to be monetarily successful or drive a capitalistic business. And on top of that, you figure out how to ways to make this world a better place with what you do. That's certainly how we've always been purpose-based. Like, how do I leave this world a little bit better than I was when I came in, right? You live, you die. What are you going to yeah. do here? Let's live a yeah. joyful life. Let's live a purposeful life. Well said. I love it. All right, let's um, let's go back to our poll and then let's bring Dan back on in just a few minutes. So the poll question was, do you feel digital experiences offer a greater sense of connection with celebrities and influencers during COVID-19? Yes or no? 63% said yes, 33% no. So we're in a reasonably even split. Any thoughts on that, Rich? Um greater sense of connection. You know, we're looking for that connection, right? Constantly. And so when you don't have it through physical, I think you're looking for it more digitally. I know for myself, I've got friends all across the country. I would wind up seeing them when I go to their city, right? Maybe a three, four times a year. Now I'm having, you know, every two weeks, I'm having a video chat with them. So I'm looking for that connection digitally too. And that's been a real blessing. It's been a, a value add to my life by, you know, being at home, by not by having to social distance. So similarly, people who are looking to celebrities and influencers before, I think that they can get a, a greater sense of, of connection during. If you weren't looking to them before, you probably aren't feeling that you're getting a greater sense of connection to them now. So my guess is some of these answers come from that aspect of what your perception was before as well. Right, totally. Well, listen, Rich, uh, really appreciate you taking the time and, and, and joining us. Um, as I mentioned, I'd love to bring Dan back on the show now so we can have a little bit of uh, audience Q&A. Dan, nice to see you again. It's been a while. Um, so, so I have a question. So just to maybe sort of lighten the, the, the mood a little bit, I have a question for both of you. Um, you know, we've been uh, in, in quarantine now for... I don't know, five, six weeks. Who, who knows at this point? It's difficult to tell. Um, I'm curious, what, what, uh, what good habits have you personally developed and what bad habits have, uh, have you developed over that time? Rich? Um, you know, it's funny. Everyone, I think, has their triggers. For me, home has always been a healthy trigger. Like going to my mom's house was an unhealthy trigger because I would just eat everything in the house. <laughs> home has been a healthy trigger for me. So it's actually been a, a, a good spot. I've been doing my math homework with my nine-year-old at 9 a.m. every morning. I'm putting my three-year-old to bed every night. I'm having, I'm cooking and having dinner with my family at least five or six nights a week. There's no work-life balance. I'm probably taking three or four calls every single weekend or every single week, weekend day as well, but that's kind of okay for me. And we've got a Peloton upstairs. I'm getting out and walking. So, and as I mentioned, just connecting with friends more than I used to. So I would say most of it is really positive. The downside is just watching, you know, the pandemic happen and, un and unfold because I know how blessed I am. And my mom is now cancer free, but she and she was in a rehabilitation center literally three days. We got her home right before um, all of this went down. So like we've been personally blessed, but my partner lost his mom. Um, I don't know anybody who lives in the tri-state area that hasn't seen death directly affecting them. So it's crazy to see. Um, and of course, jobs, and that's a whole other thing too. Everyone I know, uh, and obviously we've had to make some tough, it's just, um, it's really difficult to see the outside space. If someone would have said to me, hey, listen, you're going to work from home for the next five months and nothing else is going to change, this wouldn't be that bad. So I'm actually picking up a lot of really healthy habits here, but, uh, but obviously on a global level, it's very difficult. Definitely. What about you, Dan? Well, first, I'd say uh, good to you, Rich, on teaching your nine-year-old uh, math because I have a nine-year-old, and I actually 
you have five kids, but one of them's a nine-year-old and teaching ah. my nine-year-old fractions is uh, like torture. So I'm definitely failing at home education. I'm just going to say that right now. That's uh, I learned I'm not a home. I'm not a child educator. That's it. That wasn't my calling, clearly. Um, you know, I think look, there's some things that are obviously the nonstop staring at a video screen can get a little intense. I, I think the habits I've been trying to do and in the Northeast of America, the weather's been kind of crappy up until maybe a couple of days ago. But I try to do some calls as just calls, not video calls, just so I can walk around and take a walk outside while I do it. Um, and, you know, besides that, it's like I, I've, I've been successfully able to trade my commute times. I, I live in Connecticut and commute to New York City. So that time has been traded for actually getting in shape. So I'm very thankful for that. And like you said, the time with the family has been awesome. Um, but it's a real challenge, the sort of continuous, it doesn't end. Like nothing ends. That, that part, uh, I'm trying to learn how to uh, put those boundaries in. As a company, we're trying to encourage people to take uh, PTO time off, even though they're home. It's like a weird concept because obviously you're not traveling. Um, and how do you separate it? So we're trying to, but I, I found for myself, it's really difficult. And for most people in the company, it's really difficult too. But I'm hoping we solve that problem. So I think if we could do that and get a little time to ourselves, it, it could help greatly. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Definitely. No, uh, it, it's... Um... It's interesting. I think the, the, the development of good habit, I don't know what sort of like um, trajectory you've sort of been on, but, you know, it seemed like early on there was a, a, a huge amount of kind of enthusiasm for, you know, de developing kind of new habits and starting hobbies and, and, you know, exercising more and eating healthy and cooking and all these sorts of different things. I, I think for a lot of people, like, as you say, Dan, it's getting to a point now, it's like, wait, hang on a second. How long is this going to go on for? It's like, I'm starting to like run out of like, you know, energy, uh, just in, in terms of doing these things. It's funny because I, I have two kids, the oldest, which is four. So it's been about four years, I think, since, you know, I, I had any sort of semblance of like normality and I was able to kind of like you know have time but interestingly and this is partly because i think i've gained something in terms of like commuting time but each i've just had to kind of like restructure my day but I, i'm able to like get up incredibly early um you know before everybody else at least an hour or two and you know meditate and exercise because if i don't do that then it ain't happening at any other time of day because the rest of the day is just like hasn't been my own now for, for you know probably about six weeks i feel yeah you. I, I, my life has been like that for the last decade, so I get it. Yeah, yeah no. I mean, listen, every time you you say you have five kids, I still can't quite believe it. But um, it, it, especially just in terms of like what, what that really looks like right now. Um, so look, you know, let's, um, I, I want to take some questions um, from, from the audience before we wrap up and jump into the breakouts. Um, you know, as I mentioned to um, everyone at the start, we, we, when we wrap up at about 1.05-ish, maybe a little bit earlier, we're going to jump into individual breakout rooms. So you're going to have an opportunity to be able to not just ask a question, but get on video and ask a question. Um, and, um, and we'd love to encourage you guys to do that so you can spend a little bit of time with Dan and Rich, ask some questions. Um, deepen that kind of like you know connected connective experience um so um we'll get to some of the questions now but also obviously you'll have an opportunity in the breakouts to ask more so um you know one of the um one of the questions i want to get to um you know speaks to kind of the idea of leadership um so erica asked this question which is regarding leadership in a global crisis what leadership traits do you think are valuable right now rich um, you know, everything comes back to, I would start off with empathy. You know, I think just the ability to connect and understand that everybody's a little bit different and, and working through this in a different way. Um, you know, there's a physical side, there's a mental side, um, and then they've got to go to work and take care of a family and the homeschooling. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on. So between empathy, transparency, um, you know, again, we're trying to keep everybody in a little bit of exactly what's going on within the business, um, having, keeping our weekly meetings, even when there's a little bit less stuff going on, uh, cause people are focused on a lot of forward looking work. So we're trying to be as transparent as we can. We're trying to be as empathetic as we can be available whenever we can. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, great management is like, you know, I was liking it's like a, being an MBA coach, right? You've got all of these different types of people 
with different personalities and you got to make them all work together to, and it's not about just how good they are, you know, how talented you are, how smart you are. It's like the cohesive nature of all of that. And if you're a really good, you know, leader, you're able to kind of work with each one of those people and focus on their strengths and understand what makes them tick. And, um, but you know, with this pandemic, certainly it's, are you feeling okay? Like, are you truly all right? And are you able to get done what you need to get done? Because we want to make sure that, um, you know, people are, are, you can't be, you can't excel unless you're feeling pretty good, you know? Yeah, no, it's well said. And and one of my really close friends, he's the CEO of a four hundred person company, and he he um early on actually sort of you know addressed the entire company, all of his employees, and, and he said something that really kind of like stuck with me, and something that I communicated to my team as well, which is number one, look after yourself. Number two, look after each other, and number three. Um, if you look after yourself and look after each other, we'll be able to look after our customers. And I think that order of priority is just super important because it's really hard now for, for everybody. You know, the mental strain of, of what's going on, the, the having to simultaneously kind of still juggle, you know, work, life, and then just, you know, what's happening at the kind of existential level. Um, it's a challenge for a lot of people. And I think that making sure that you get the priority order right is just super important. What about you, Dan? Any thoughts on leadership? Yeah, I th- number one, I think it's interesting. It's like when you're on the plane and you have, they tell you to put the mask on yourself before anybody else. Obviously, that that's for a reason. You can't help anybody else if you don't help yourself. Um, actually, funny enough, the other day, someone asked at my company how I was doing. And I was like, taking it back. I'm like, oh, how? Oh, does it matter? I guess it does matter how I'm doing. Like, I was almost like shocked by it. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, look, I agree with uh, obviously both of you on everything. Obviously, empathy, it all comes back to empathy. I think the world revolves around successful empathy that, that helps everybody, you know, and obviously communication, that's important. And I, I think, you know, intent is really, I believe, important, you know, and honest intent, you know, what, what are you really trying to do? Um, obviously, being transparent on that and uh, having the right intent, I, I find is incredibly um important right now and you know like i said i think i started about like every day feels like a week and every week feels like a, a year or something um which means it's changing everybody's mental state i've realized including myself it's changing so rapidly uh that reevaluation on how we approach and how we say and how we talk and we're doing these weekly meetings and it's interesting to get the feedback and think about the feedback and you know you know it's interesting you, you know it's like you know you, people are working hard they're working harder and then all this crazy stuff, which makes it even harder. And then, you know, it becomes long. It's like, when is this going to end? And how long am we going to... So things, everybody's mental state is changing. So we're having to keep reevaluate our approaches and reach, challenge ourselves. And I find that being incredibly important. Um, but at the core of it, as long as our intent is right, and we try to make the right decisions, I think people see that. I think that helps from a leadership perspective. Then um, kind of think that we have all the answers because we're clearly going to screw up over and over again through this. <laughs> no, totally. So um, uh, a question from uh, Sam in Detroit. He he wants to know, like, what do you hope um, you will want to, like, hang on to sort of post-COVID? Like, it was interesting. I was talking to someone the other day, and they, they, they mentioned that, like, at the beginning of a conference call, um, she always found it, like, really awkward because particularly if you're speaking to people you don't necessarily know, the small talk at the beginning of conference calls can sometimes be a little painful. And and now what's really interesting is that regardless of whether you know the person or not, you're connecting um, with people at a very human level because ultimately your first question is like, how are you doing? Where are you? How are you coping? And there's something about that that's really interesting. So this question, I think, is 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 very relevant to that, which is like, what do you hope that we carry, we hold on to, you know, in that post sort of COVID era when things do get back to normal? Rich? Uh, I love it. What you just said is, you know, the, the dog running through, the baby crying, like it humanizes people and it creates empathy. And, you know, you walk into the, you know, especially when you're on an agency, sometimes you feel like you're, you're like, you're not necessarily always a partner. You're sometimes some, some people consider you a vendor. The good ones consider you partners. This is like, it just puts everybody on a, on an equal playing field and, it, and, it, and it's kind of the way things should be right. Like first, first and foremost, how, how you doing? 
Like, or, yeah. or, I want to work with the people I want to work with. You know, I want to be friends with them first, build up, build relationships on trust. Um, and I want to connect at the most human level possible. You know, I want to know what makes people feel good. I want to make know, know what, make people, what people enjoy. And the business is just one aspect of life, but as a, the human experience is multifaceted. So that's been a really great spot. Um, for all these things, we've often you know, been starting, it's been taking us longer time to get through some conference calls, but like, what is, what's your favorite snack during the pandemic? Like just questions that get people talking about aspects of their lives that, that, that are, that are interesting and that you don't usually get to talk to with, with clients, um, or partners. And so, um, that, I hope that that really continues on again, the connection through video, I'm going to get back to physical as fast as I possibly can. Yeah. I like the fact that I'm able to talk to people, you know, and, and see their facial expressions and connect with them a little bit more deeply than I might via a, a phone call. So I hope some of that transfers over as, as well. Yeah, definitely. Dan, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I agree with it. I I find actually calls and meetings are going being more efficient, and in general, um, my business has been more efficient. Like all those things, I, I think as we scaled our agency, you know, as you scale any business, I think inefficiency come. And this sort of reevaluated all of it. And there was none of that sort of legacy of this, everything had to change. So I find actually, which I hope is sort of this efficiency that happens through our day to day, obviously all the empathy, I, I don't need to pile on that because I think it's, you guys said it pretty well, but I'm finding incredible efficiency on the, on the output, which obviously as a service provider is incredibly important. All right. So listen, we're going to, we're going to jump into our uh, breakouts right now. So I'll just take a minute or so just to wrap up. Um, but let me just take a, a few minutes just to, first of all, thanks to Dan and Rich for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks obviously to our audience for joining us for the SMW1 show. I'm Toby Daniels. Thank you so much again for joining us. See you next week. And in the meantime, stay safe and be well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Toby. That was awesome. We encourage you to go to socialmediaweek.org for more information about the SMW1 virtual conference going on now until May 28th. There, you can also sign up for the weekly Hashtag 5 Things newsletter. Thanks for listening to the Hashtag 5 Things. The 5 Things podcast is produced by Andrew Petit, Grace McDougal, Joey Scarillo, John Dillon, and Al Manorino, and recorded at Townhouse Studios. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Social Media Week is a leading conference and industry news platform that curates and shares insights, emerging trends, and best practices with the world's smartest digital marketers. Gray is the exclusive global creative insights partner for Social Media Week. Check out more at gray.com.